From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio, episode 33, with Paul O'Byrne. I'm Connor Sweetman, and you're listening to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is changing insurance and about the people making it happen. I think what's different here is you have every individual is impacted. Like in 9-11, yes, we had those people, but most people could go home. Uh, Their families still had school. They had structures to their days. Um, But there was a level level of clarity that was not there, and there was a level of anxiety. But you didn't have the whole sort of social upheaval that was happening at the same time. My guest this week is Paul O'Byrne, Paul is an organizational consultant and executive coach based in Seattle. We speak about how to lead in times of uncertainty and how to engage your people while working from home. We start off the conversation by talking about the benefits of understanding personality types, especially when working in fast-paced businesses. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to InsureTech Radio. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. Cool, so before we started recording, we uh, started talking about disk profiling and uh, I, ha- I did have a kind of a couple of set questions but as you mentioned disk it kind of it reminded me of some training I did a couple of years ago and I thought that would be a really great way to explore leadership through adversity uh, in light of COVID-19 and everything that's going on um, so wh- why don't we start with that so like, what exactly is disk just to tell our listeners yeah so disk is a behavioral profile that assesses um behaviors and behaviors are sort of the outward manifestation that people see you express and that's everything from your body language your tone of voice your pace uh, the way you address things even the way you walk can be impacted by your disc profiles and there's four key sort of different four different profiles one is called dominance which is really around how do you address problems and challenges? And um, and these are on continuums. So about one sort of end of the continuum, you have somebody who could be quite aggressive around how they address problems and challenges. And on the other end, you might have somebody who's a little bit more reflective. Um, and then the so set- you could use like a celebrity maybe to give an example or a public well, figure. Of, just yeah, to- well, we won't call it a celebrity, but like if you think about... Um, <laughs> Somebody like Donald Trump is probably incredibly high on on D. Um, okay. Very, you know, sort of aggressive, wants to push things through, doesn't have a lot of patience and stuff like that. Um, okay, and we all know other people like that in our lives. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they're usually, they're usually um, quite assertive. They can be competitive. And that's one in the high end of it, but you also have the low end of it, so somebody who could be quite reflective. Um, mm. And so they may address problems in, in, in a different way um, and may not be as assertive about them, but it doesn't mean it, but they may be more reflective and think more deeply about them. And then the next one is influence um, and high influences are usually talkative, enthusiastic, a little bit more extrovert. Um, they love to, they like to be a little bit in the limelight. Um, social connection is really important for them. And um, so, and then you have the low influencers 
who are a little bit more critical, uh, maybe a little bit more an analytical, can even be sometimes cynical, not as trusting. Um, they're going to um, look at things in a different way in terms of they're not going to just trust you up front in terms of what you say. You're going to have to prove it to them. Um, so you, you have to remember there's sort of two dimensions on each of these. And then the next one is called steadiness, which relates to um, – and my person who likes to drive change, which would be what's called sort of high steadiness, or my person, um, or, or I'm sorry, if I if I'm a person who likes to drive change, that's low steadiness, which means I'm pretty impatient about the status quo and I want things to uh, move forward at a pretty fast rate. Um, if I'm a high steadiness, I'm going to be a person who's much more comfortable with stability, and so I at at for example at this particular time somebody with high steadiness because there's so much change around them could feel very anxious yeah. um, and so then and then the last one is what's called compliance and compliance really is around am I a person who likes to make the rules and you know I drive things by process and I like a lot of data and I like things to be pretty um, clear or am I a person who kind of likes to break all the rules, think outside the box, um, more sort of entrepreneurial in terms of um, th thinking about new ideas as opposed to getting stuck into old ways and stuff like that. So each of these D, I, S, and C are continuums of behavior. And there's no good or bad. It's like high D is not better than low D. Um, they can be context relevant, but they are behavioral profiles. And they go back to a work that was done in the 1930s by a guy called William Marston, who was a social scientist who discovered these, but it, it goes back even further than that if you some of the work of Carl Jung around looking at different behavioral profiles in people. And it was only probably in the last 30 or 40 years that they created instruments to measure them. So there's a lot of good theory um, and research behind these. And... Um, you know, there's there, a lot of people, you know, the, the organization that I work with, they have done about 30 million of, of, of these disk assessments. And if we, so, so that's the kind of the theoretical aspect. If we yeah. talk about the application of it. So take me, for example, when I did the disk uh, training a couple of years ago, I was in that kind of low D kind of area. Yeah. So like what, what are things that... When, you, when it comes to, say, dealing with adversity and leadership, or what, what are the type of things that that profile, that's either good or bad for that profile? Yeah, so sometimes low Ds um, are a little less assertive. Um, sometimes, you know, even if they are having some challenges and stuff like that, they may not push back or they may not ask for help as readily as some pe other people. Um so one of the things that they probably need to be a little careful of is um, if there are things that they see or are things that are concerning, that not, don't be afraid to sort of reach out and look for support and ask for help. Uh, and what are some of the other applications maybe across the, the disk wheel? Yeah, so for example, um, if I'm a high D, right, I'm going to feel pretty frustrated at this moment in time um, because... Um, like I'm sort of being blocked in getting stuff done and things are moving at probably too slow a pace. 
Mm. And so I, this is like people sitting at home or not sitting at home, but like, you know, working from home, working things, from home and, all by know, email. things may not be going the way they want and get, we can't, we're not getting stuff done at the pace that we need to get it. So what can happen in these cases is because people are now being stressed. And then there's a sort of a whole level that we have to think about stress, which I wrote in my article about um, leading in, in times of, anxiety and, and uncertainty is that when we're stressed, our brain is now being triggered into more reactive types of behaviors. So I'm going to be triggered into certain types of um, reactive behaviors, which are sometimes called threat response or flight response. So a high D is probably going to get even a little bit more aggressive and could even be potentially confrontational. So one of the things that we encourage is for people to be aware of what's happening to them and realize that some of these external stresses are causing, you know, what can be a key strength in terms of, of you know, their high D can now start be something that's going to impact them and cause them personal stress and stress for others. So one of the things, you know, we would say to people, if they're feeling very frustrated they, they may need to take a little time out. They may need to slow down. They may need to take a breath and relax and realize that some of this feeling they have is, is a natural feeling to the level of anxiety and uncertainty that they're feeling at this moment in time. Yeah, that's something I've had to wrap my head around because naturally when there's anything like any kind of crisis, you know, my initial instinct is to do something, you know, just to take the bull by the horns, do just, I suppose, feel like I'm in control in some way. Um, but the paradox in this situation is that the most powerful thing any of us can do is to stay home and do nothing, which is so counterintuitive. Um, and one of the things as well, as you were talking there, I was thinking about was um, how like, just as you mentioned, kind of threat responses and how the usual human threat responses like, either that fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze. I'm just wondering, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, any uh, any of those responses taken to their extreme in this moment is probably pretty irresponsible and counterproductive. And I just wonder how business leaders should be thinking about their responses to this, uh, to this COVID-19 threat that's going on. Yeah, and, and this, I, I think, you know, f- the first thing is to tune into the fact that there are going to be feeling somewhat um, stress response to this to, to this uncertain time and and realize that this stress response one is normal and that two um, if, if they can become aware of it see if you're not aware of it and you're going on and you're sort of you know your daily work and stuff like that you will engage in behaviors that might feel a little sort of frustrating to you, but you may not be fully aware of why. When you're aware and more self-aware of what's actually going on, and one of the only ways to do that is to is to slow down, um, then what can happen to you is now you can sort of think about greater choices. Prior to that, you're more in a reactive mode. Because what happens when you get into what you call these flight, fright, or freeze mode, 
if you're shutting down the best part of your brain, which is your kind of your thinking brain, or where your best cognition and your best ideas come from, which is your frontal cortex, and your your amygdala or your primitive brain is is now being triggered. And so it's really important at this time to just be aware. Um, so for example, you know, high Ds might have to take a breath and relax and stuff. The high influencers who are, you know, more extrovert and stuff like that, um, those people, their flight response is that they may get even more talkative and, you know, want to kind of be socialized and talking to everybody. But sometimes they'll shut down their listening. Um, they're not, you know, they're, it's, it's more about them and others. So like if they have people working on their teams and stuff like that, they need to make sure that they understand that. And as you discussed, I think earlier this morning when we were talking, different people are going to react to this differently. So you you have to understand just the way you're behaving in this world is not the way other people are going to behave in this world. So you have to be curious about what's going on for them. So that's why my second article that I wrote at the time around, you know, making empathetic connections to each of your people. And the empathy is around not understanding where you're coming from, but understanding where they're coming from. So, Do you think they're – sorry, go on. Yeah, go ahead. So it's really important that, one, that you're seeing things from other people's perspective your ability to slow down so that you can be more self-aware. The third thing is, you know, being self-aware, you have to look at what you need to do to self-regulate yourself. And again, that's going to be different for different people, depending on even what type of style you are. Yeah. Well, something I've noticed over the last couple of weeks is, so my, my usual reaction, not a reaction, but sorry, my usual, um, whenever I need to get feedback from people say is usually to set up a meeting or pick up the phone. And what I've noticed now is that I'm getting far more, uh, far more back when I get feedback from people by email. So, so I'm doing a lot more written communication over the last uh, couple of weeks. And I'm just wondering like with remote working, you know, being, um, uh, being so widespread at the moment, does work remote working provide, what advantages and disadvantages does remote work provide for that? Yeah, so it depends, again, on, on certain people. There's some studies done by Gallup that showed, you know, of people who are work, working remote, about 22% of these people actually feel a sense of isolation. Hmm. Um, so... So, for example, if you are a person who's a very social individual and now you're living alone in a place on your own and you don't have any social outlet, um, that feeling of isolation may be much stronger for you than if you were somebody who is a little bit more introverted, who can tolerate sort of being more alone at that particular time. Okay, I see what you mean, yeah. And I, um, it must be interesting if, you know, say it's a it's a couple in a house and one is one and one is the other and you're trying to navigate your your new uh, uh, 
co-working uh, co-working colleagues yeah it's very interesting you say that because um one of the things that we're we're looking at there's a report that we brought out this week um called um you know using your your behavioral profile for living at home and you know one of the key things again is like if you are living at home you have to understand other people's behavioral profiles and, and what's happening to them so that you can adapt as 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 needed because uh it, it you some of us are going to be in tighter spaces than we were before all of this you know i mean one of my colleagues she has three daughters and her husband and they're all working from home and most of them are competing for sort of similar spaces in terms of work um places and you've got three kids now who have no structure um for school um because some of the schools here um have completely even closed down mm, yeah so 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 you can imagine like just the normal stresses that you're engaging in but now you're living with a whole new set of colleagues who don't always cooperate <laughs> yeah so yeah, it's interesting times. Yeah, it's funny. My wife and I were joking uh, uh, last week. So we're in Ireland now. This is week four of lockdown. And um, we probably haven't spent this much time with each other apart from when we're, when we've been on holidays uh so it so it's 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 been nice actually but i can imagine in some uh circumstances it can be uh challenging well yes i mean especially when so for example if you're a person who's being used to you know being in your own space and and driving things and now you're dealing with you know all of life's issues in a, in confined spaces, you know, and um, so you can have two parents and three or four children, and all of them are being stressed in many different ways. Um, so you know, one of my colleagues was saying that it's it's really important, especially when you have children, is to take some time out with them to sort of talk a little bit about things about. Okay, how are we all going to work together during this time? To have a little team meeting. Yeah, no, little team meetings and stuff like that. We're now with a whole new set of colleagues, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you have to be uh, conscientious. Um, I'm wondering, like, uh, as a business leader, you must have dealt with a lot of different crises throughout your career, like whether that be a result of an outside event, say like 9-11 or the financial crash or more internal company specific stuff. So it's like when you look back, like what, uh, what has been the most difficult or most challenging thing that you've had to manage and can you draw parallels for now? Yeah. I mean, there has been nothing. Um, I mean, nine 11 comes has, has, um, there are, there's probably some parallels, but in 9-11, it was, um, you know, so if you think about 9-11 when it happened, there was a lot of uncertainty. So I remember the day on 9-11, I was at a conference at Microsoft at the time, and we had a people who had come in from all over the world for this conference. 
And when 9-11 happened, you know, no, you had all of these people who were meant to be flying out the next day and um, nobody had any idea about how they were going to get home. Um, so there was, there was that same level of uncertainty. There was probably um, a sort of a level of anxiety at that at, at that time, and we had to go into um, a lot of sort of planning and logistics mode around how are we going to um, help everybody because each person had, you know, their own individual situation that they were dealing with because, you know, we had thousands of people who were at this conference who had to get back to their own countries and had no idea of how they were going to get there, when they were going to get there. Um, so we had to put in a plan. And if you think about it, we weren't the only company that were doing that. Um, so we had, you know, there was, there was a lot of chaos and a lot of challenges and a lot of anxiety around that. I think what's different here is um, you have every individual is impacted, you know, like in 9-11, yes, we had those people, but most people could go home. Uh, their families still had school. They had structures to their days. Um, but there was, level, there, was a clarity, there was a level of clarity that was not there, and there was a level of anxiety. But you didn't have the whole sort of social upheaval that was happening at the same time. Yeah, that's been quite bizarre. And what do you think when, when we, from a people perspective and uh, say just from uh, the HR function, uh, when you think about that, if we kind of fast forward a couple of years, like what do you think this new normal is going to be? Because we've had to put in place a lot of um, measures at the moment. So I'm, I'm wondering how you see that playing out over the medium medium to long term. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and we've been um, reflecting on that. And, you know, um, a lot of the work that we do with the companies that we work with have been in person, you know, um, mm. whether that be, you know, you're facilitating trainings, conferences. Um, I do a lot of executive coaching and meet a lot of my coaches, even personally, even though I do some virtually. And we were looking at, you know, what would it like if we have to take everything we do and we're going to have to look at how do we create um, the same level of learning in a virtual environment? Um, because I think, one, there's definitely going to be a lot more virtual. And then, two, um, I mean, obviously, we don't even know when we're going to come out of this. Um, yeah. And people are going to be still... Still, people are going to be still in a state of anxiety until they probably get to a stage where either you can test everybody or you have a vaccine that knows that if you can get the vaccine, you have a level of protection that allows you to go out and live your life. So I think for the next, you know, whatever time period, I mean, they'll obviously find a vaccine eventually. I think it's also going to impact people in terms of understanding the possibility of this happening again yeah that's interesting you know and then how is it going to impact um just social um distance <laughs> yeah 
I mean, are people going to be now a lot more aware of social distance than they would have been heretofore, you know? Um, yeah, like when, when do we uh, go out and start hugging each other again? Or imagine, say, in the Mediterranean, like Spain, Italy, exactly, France, yes, where Spain, Italy and greet each other with kisses. Yeah, yeah, where there is yeah. a lot more or closer social distance, you know? So yeah, I think I think there will be a sort of a hangover effect. It's like um, nine eleven changed um, everybody's perspective of what was possible. So even though you know after nine eleven, but still after that, there's always been a potential level of anxiety around, and you know we've obviously had some continuation of many different horrendous terrorist attacks after that but i think it put people in a higher state of alert and i'd like to maybe just get a bit more tactical for a moment like when so say that there's business leaders sitting in you know emergency board meetings over the last couple of weeks Uh, from a people perspective what options do leaders have on the table at the moment so for an organization that's pretty financially stable, right? Mm. So like we'll say, if you take a company, which was my alma mater or whatever you want to call it, or my alumni, is Microsoft, right? Mm. So they're, they're sitting, you know, where all of their people are working from home. Um, there's a lot, you know, I'm, I'm still engaged with them. There's a lot of work getting done. There's a lot of work that still can get done. Yes, they've had some shifts around people, you know, they've made some policy decisions around, you know, paying hourly workers and um, they, they've, everybody has to go virtual and stuff like that. But that doesn't have anything like the impact if you're in the hospitality industry. Yeah. Right. Where, you know, um, like I'm, I'm part of a, a, a a club where they and, and all of the people there literally showed up for work one day and there was a you know a statement made by the governor here saying that you know non-essential services and literally they have no job um and so, so some- that, that extreme scenario is something I, i'm finding it difficult to wrap my head around like how you actually make those calls like what do you what Obviously, I suppose that's a, that's kind of a, what the government is telling you to do. Well, the but challenge just, is, um, you know, if you're if you're in a non-essential area and you're literally told you cannot operate, right? Hmm. So you have people who show up or who are ready to show up for work, but are told that they cannot turn up for work. So those companies are looking at, okay, how do I how do I deal with this situation? I have no revenue coming in. I've got a hundred people on my payroll or 200 people or whatever. It could be thousands of people. And then, you know, I can't afford to pay them, but maybe I can pay their benefits. Um, So like some companies, for example, are paying all of their benefits. Um, I was on a call yesterday with a large manufacturing company um, where I was doing a talk for their, um, it was a sales organization, about 80 people were on the call. And in the next two months, they have to take two furloughed weeks, which means 
that they will choose two weeks where they get pay, paid no pay. Um, okay. But they will have their benefits. But, you know, I've a, a colleague who works in the motor industry and some of them have been told they're furloughed for the next number of weeks until there's more clarity around the situation. And Nord- Indefinitely. Nordstrom's one of the biggest retailers here, you know, that has huge department stores have furloughed all their employees. So y- 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 different organizations have to deal with this very, very differently. Um, and when you when you were on that call the other day, um, what questions were being asked by the employees there? What was on their mind? Well, it was interesting because they had already gone through the call about the furlough. And so what they were doing, which was quite interesting, and why I was on the call, I wasn't being invited as a guest speaker, because you know they cannot do what they normally do um as an organization from kind of selling point of view they've actually decided to put a lot of time and investment in their people so they were okay. hoping, um every week they were doing development work with all of this organization and i was being invited as a guest speaker to talk to them about culture it was and um so it was really interesting the approach that they had taken and part of it was related to their overall business strategy around they wanted they're part of a large um manufacturing company and they were one division of a a large um kitchen supplier manufacturer of of electrical kitchen goods and they really wanted to differentiate themselves as a top brand and as a top organization. So their whole sort of perspective on this is we want to be really innovative and create our employees to reflect what we're trying to create for our business. So it was, it was a really interesting perspective. It's a very positive, uh, really positive way to deal with really the perspective and the fact that all of these people had decided, you know, that they would take a number of weeks furloughed, you know, which meant no pay. Um, Mm. And I think everybody was kind of in it together. And then, you know, I've heard of other companies where instead of laying off people, everybody in the company has decided to take a drop in pay. Yeah, I've heard of that approach as well, particularly from startups where you know obviously there's um they're relying on investment and uh, they have to kind of have some sort of runway to see see this through so one of the ways they're doing that is by taking pay cuts but they've even done it in because i have um my niece's um partner she um he works in the motor industry and he's been asked to take you know a 20 or 30 percent cut in pay while this goes on wow so it's it's you know it's it's impacting people um in many different ways so the, the the conversations at leadership level are going to be very very different depending on how you're impacted by these circumstances well, Paul I want to be respectful of your time um do you have any parting words for our audience uh, just around managing uh businesses and leading through crisis 
Yeah, I mean, I I would I would still say that you know, in 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 these times, and you know, depending where you're where you're coming from, but I think it's really important to realize that these are stressful times, and that different people are going to react to it this different, and um, many of us will feel in what's called the threat state. And um, the the threat state is going to put us in a sort of a state of anxiety. And, and there's a lot of research, and as I think you may have read in the article that I wrote, around um, when people experience a lack of certainty, a lack of autonomy, don't feel that they have the relatedness to others that they need. and And then all in all that this isn't, sort of feel fair um people are going to be now in almost like a a doubly threat state so you kind of have to be intentional about these positive things that you can do for yourself and for others um because and you have to do more of them uh, than probably normal to to kind of bring your your threat state back to to more of a normal level where you're actually going to feel um, better around the things that are happening. And, and, as, and for leaders, the first thing they need to do is kind of slow down, check into that for themselves, see where they are, and then reach out to others to, uh, and, and just do that in a very empathetic way and not assume you understand where other people are coming from, but just to really listen deeply and understand where each person is coming from because at this time, it, I think it's it's really important that we stay connected and um, help ourselves and others go through this time of of anxiety and uncertainty. But I think we'll all get through it. It's just a matter at the moment. It it just probably feels like you know a little heavier than it will be you know in in, in a number of months. So. Hmm. And where can people find out more about you, Paul, and about your business? Um, so if if they want to read my article on LinkedIn, um, I'm Paul O'Byrne at LinkedIn, and they can read a couple of the different articles that I've wrote. My company is Orca HR Solutions. Um, and our passion, what we like to do is help individuals, teams, and organizations create their future. And we try to use ourselves as an instrument of change for, for doing that. And that's what gets me up every day in the morning. Great stuff, Paul. Well, look, thanks a million for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn. And please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.